0: Talk Murder to Me, a true crime tour, is coming to the Denver, Colorado area Thursday, February 10th, through Sunday, February 13th. Join the hosts of your favorite true crime podcasts on an all-star panel of true crime experts discussing some curious cases. You'll be joined by Cults Crimes and Cabernet, True Consequences, True Crime IRL, and Generation Y. And you'll be enjoying this true crime chat in some pretty cool venues while sipping on craft beers, cocktails, and wine. You can search for the event on Eventbrite by typing in talk murder to me, a true crime tour. Or you can go to my website, truecrimeirl.com events to get all the details and links to buy your tickets. You're not going to want to miss this one of a kind event coming to Colorado in February 2022. And until then, well, you know the drill. Lock your doors, people. I'll see you soon. Bye bye. Hey everybody, welcome to season two of True Crime IRL, True Crime in Real Life. This is a new limited series called The Manchester Mysteries. You'll still be getting real life stories of crime and unsolved cases, but all wrapped up in a very different package. This season, I'm concentrating on the captivating stories that have come out of one particular small Midwestern town called Manchester. Manchester is both weird and wonderful, with a full cast of interesting characters who have some unique stories to tell. I'll be presenting you with tales of murder, mayhem, and crimes of passion. And I'll be bringing you everything from missing persons cases to questionable suicides and even a homicide that went unsolved for 40 years. There'll be an element of local folklore to some of our tales, but also a healthy dose of science, DNA technology, forensics, history, government, law, and so much more. And yes, it's all out of one little community in small town America. If you think you had our country's heartland all figured out, well, guess again because I'll be bringing you stories this season that would make Ted Bundy blush. Season 2 of True Crime IRL, The Manchester Mysteries, debuts January 14, 2022 and is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Until then, lock your doors, people. Even if, or especially if, you live in Manchester. Bye bye. You're listening to season two of True Crime IRL The Manchester Mysteries. Although this series is based 100% on factual events, Keep in mind that at times we've changed the names of people or places in order to protect the innocent, or in some cases, the guilty. Episode 1 Welcome to Manchester. I'm Kelly.
1: And I'm Chris. He's my ex. She's
0: my ex. But before we were exes, we were a young, happy couple with two little boys living in the suburbs.
1: But wanting to be in the country.
0: And we had a plan.
1: We were going to sell our stuff, buy a small town acreage somewhere, get away from the hustle and bustle.
0: And become hipster hobby farmers.
1: But before we did that, we'd have to sell our beautiful suburban house and find the perfect new place.
0: Naturally, we took to our cell phones, scouring through internet real estate listings, while chilling on the couch after our kiddos went to bed. Chris, let's jump into our time machine and give people a glimpse into that time in our lives, shall we?
1: Alright, let's do it.
0: Hey babe, sorry to call when you're working. Are you with a patient right
1: now? Uh, I've got about two minutes.
0: Okay, okay, I know you're busy, but I think I found the place. It's in this cute little town called Manchester. It has great schools. Hold on, I'll read you the listing right now, but I will also text it to you, just a second. This two-story farmhouse will feel just like home. Open floor plan with lots of updates. Close proximity to town, but on seven acres of peaceful privacy. Working farm with 12 outbuildings that can be rented out or used to make your own hobby farm dreams come true. Schedule your showing today. Let's schedule a showing.
1: Today. Hold on, let me look at the pictures. Whoa, it's under our price range. Let's go take a look.
0: So we looked at the house.
1: Apparently it was owned by an Amish man who lived in the area. That was an interesting twist.
0: There are a lot of Amish people in this area actually, which is really cool. But this young man, Abel Yoder, happened to be on Rumspringa. What springer? Rumspringa Rumspringa is an Amish rite of passage that begins during the late teens or early adulthood and ends when a youth chooses either to be baptized into the Amish church or leave the community altogether. If they choose the latter, they'll typically be shunned by their friends and family and all future contact severed. It's translated in English as jumping or hopping around. Amish elders generally view it as a time for courtship and finding a spouse. Often though, the usual behavioral restrictions are relaxed so that Amish youth can acquire some experience and knowledge of the non-Amish world. There are a ton of Amish families in this community, and they are just the nicest people. They have wonderful businesses where they sell high-quality homemade goods, food, textiles, furniture, agricultural products, and so much more at very reasonable prices.
1: So this is how they make their living and support their families. We actually had a lot of Amish people working on the house. They replaced the windows, the roof, the siding. Their manufacturing abilities are unparalleled, and their work ethic is impressive.
0: You got that right. So... Abel Yoder decided to leave his community during Rumspringa to buy his own farm. He had a lot of fun too, living his secular life as shown by the huge amount of empty beer cans, cigarette butts, and firework remnants that were scattered across the grounds and in the barns of our property.
1: Good for Abel.
0: I know, right? Do you remember how many bush light cans there were?
1: Oh my god, so many.
0: Yeah, Abel had a good time. But ultimately, he decided that he really missed the simple life that the Amish community gave him. He missed his family, and he wanted to settle down and start his own. And he wanted to do it Amish. So he sold the farm. To us. Yep, to us. So Chris, (laughs) do you remember the first 24 hours living in that house after we moved in?
1: Yeah, even though I've tried to forget.
0: (laughs) Okay, tell me what you remember.
1: First of all, I recall that there was no way to lock the back door of the house. It just sat there unlocked all the time for years.
0: That's right, and that meant that basically anyone could have been squatting there in the house and go undetected for quite a while, and they did. And there was evidence of that in the basement. The basement walls were lined with creepy graffiti and ominous words, and you could just tell that people had been partying in that house as it sat empty, which was kind of creepy and weird and gross to think about.
1: I vaguely remember a weird smiley face on the wall, a stick figure drawn with a noose around its neck. Do you remember that?
0: I definitely remember that, and I instantly thought... Whoa, human sacrifices have probably happened in this basement. There's probably been like a cult or something here, but um, I really don't think that happened. But you never know.
1: Regardless, we painted right over that.
0: We did. We painted over
1: it right away. And then there was the broken pipe that we discovered the first time we flushed the toilet. I remember hearing a splashing sound on the cement floor in the basement. That was awesome.
0: And, um, Chris, what was that splattering
1: sound? That splattering sound was shit water, Kelly.
0: That's right. Shit water. There was shit water pouring into our basement, and we immediately had that to contend with. Yeah, we could actually see the basement from the bathroom because there was a small hole in the bathroom floor. If you got down and you peeked through it, you could actually see down into it. So, yeah.
1: Old houses, am I right?
0: You're right. And this would be our first real interaction with the townsfolk as we put an emergency after-hours call into the local plumber. And they were so sweet to us, they came right away, they fixed the problem, and all was well after that with our pipes anyway.
1: Should we say the name of the business? Um, Well,
0: maybe let's wait and see first if they'd like to
1: help us sponsor the show. Good thinking.
0: I know. But this was a lot of the reason why we decided that we wanted to raise our kids in a really small town like this, because this is just how small towns operate. People are nice. They help each other out. They're always pitching in to help when needed.
1: And they're safe. There's very little crime, and you don't even have to lock your doors.
0: Well, actually, Chris, that's not true. Um, Everyone should lock their doors, and that's why I have that motto. Lock your doors, people. I even have it on a t-shirt that's available in my merch store. Go buy one.
1: Well, we obviously never locked our doors when we lived at the farm.
0: Well, that's true. We couldn't lock our doors when we lived at the farm because the door didn't even like shut all the way. That was so terrible. But I also wasn't a full time true crime podcaster at that time who spent every waking moment researching murders. And now I am. And that's why my motto is Lock Your Doors, people. And as you're going to find out later in this series, you should even lock your doors if you live in a really small town. Because if your small town is anything like Manchester, it could very well harbor some very dark secrets. Yes, it could. Oh, and by the way, you're here for a true crime podcast, right? Ah, You don't just want to hear my life story and all about the town I live in? Ah, okay, well I promise you are going to get a heavy dose of true crime here in just a little bit. But hang in there for now because I do really want to tell you all about this town I live in because it's very special. How about a cold case that went 39 years unsolved and then led right back here to Manchester? But first I do want to tell you about this special town I live in so you get a feel for it before we start talking about some of the negative things that have happened here. I really want to set up the scene for you that this is a super special little place here in the Midwest. And it is the kind of town where people don't think they need to lock their doors, even though they do. So hold on tight. Let's talk a little bit more about the town itself. And we'll get into the true crime shortly. Okay, so one day, later on, I was looking at some legal documents regarding our farm, and I saw something pretty interesting. Hey, Chris! What? Hey, come look at this! I'm looking at a map of our property, and oh my god, you've got to see this! So the legal description of this house and our property says it's located in a township called Coffins Grove. Okay. Coffins Grove? Hello? Coffins? Coffins, Chris. Dead people? Dead people. You know, where there are coffins, there are dead people. Where there are dead people, there are ghosts. Does that not make you wonder what the fuck
1: happened in this area? So this house was built in 1914.
0: I bet there was a terrible illness outbreak in the area at the time. Something like tuberculosis, influenza, diphtheria. I can see it now. Stagecoaches full of bodies of the poor victims who succumbed to disease. Wagons carrying coffins of the dead to their final resting place in that little country cemetery. Right down the gravel road, Chris. Right there outside of our window. I bet so many people died, I'm sure the town was probably nearly wiped out. (sighs) I bet it's called Coffins Grove because there were so many coffins they were like filling up the ditches and just coffins everywhere. And we live right here where it all happened. I bet our house is haunted. Oh, Lord, honey, my mama died of the consumption, along with all my five sisters. How I survived, I just don't know, but it was by the sheer grace of God.
1: Why are you speaking in a southern accent? We live in Iowa, not Georgia.
0: Well, yeah, I I don't know. Stagecoaches and airborne illness deaths reminded me of the Savannah, Georgia yellow fever epidemic of the late 1800s. Remember that?
1: I do remember that.
0: We learned all about it.
1: Well, okay, Miss Daisy, I just Googled it, and you can rest assured that our house is not haunted. At least not by ghosts of people who died in some contagion here in the 1900s. That's not why it's called Coffin's Grove. Here, come look at this. Coffin's Grove was named after Clement Coffin, who settled in the Manchester area in 1840. Clement Coffin and his family moved to Delaware County in 1840 as the first white settlers in what would become known as Coffin's Grove Township. Coffin's Grove in Delaware County was opened up for settlement September 21st, 1832, by the Black Hawk Purchase.
0: Wait, wait, wait. The Black Hawk Purchase? Not to go down a bunch of rabbit holes here. But I need to read about what the Black Hawk Purchase is before we go on. And sadly, I really think I'm going to hate this story. The Black Hawk Purchase, also known as the 40 Mile Strip or Scott's Purchase, extended along the west side of the Mississippi River from the north boundary of Missouri North to the Upper Iowa River in the northeast corner of Iowa. It was 50 miles wide at the ends and 40 in the middle. The land, originally owned by the Sauk, Meskwaki, Fox, Ho-Chunk, and Winnebago Native American people, was acquired by treaty following their defeat by the United States in the Black Hawk War. Wait, defeat? I think they mean a bunch of old white men with guns overpowered indigenous people on their own ancestral lands and stole everything they had.
1: Yeah, that. After being defeated...
0: Text in brackets, they were not defeated. They were slaughtered.
1: The Sauk and Meskwaki were forced to relinquish another 6 million acres and give up their rights to plant, hunt, or fish on the land. The, quote, purchase was made for $640,000 on September 21st, 1832, and was named for Chief Blackhawk, who was held prisoner at the time the purchase was completed.
0: So, some history here. The Blackhawk War was a conflict between the United States and Native Americans led by Chief Blackhawk, who was a Sauk leader. The war erupted after Chief Black Hawk and a group of Sox, Meskwakis, Fox, and Kickapoos crossed the Mississippi River into the U.S. state of Illinois from Iowa Indian Territory in April 1832.
1: U.S. officials mobilized a frontier militia and opened fire on the Native Americans in 1832, later defeating them on July 25, 1832.
0: Hey, that's my birthday!
1: In what was known as the Battle of Wisconsin Heights, Chief Blackhawk's group was weakened by hunger, death, and desertion, and many Native survivors retreated towards the Mississippi River. In August, U.S. soldiers attacked the remaining members of the Native American group in what was called the Battle of Bad Axe, killing many and capturing most who remained alive. Chief Blackhawk and other leaders escaped, but later surrendered and were imprisoned.
0: I've been told I'm quite the bad axe.
1: That's not funny, Kelly.
0: Sorry. So this was all part of what was referred to as Indian Removal, which was the United States government policy of forced displacement of Native American tribes from their ancestral homelands.
1: The key law which authorized the removal of Native tribes was signed by Andrew Jackson in 1830.
0: Well, fuck you, Andrew Jackson.
1: Jackson took a hard line on Indian removal. After the passage of the Indian Removal Act in 1830, approximately 60,000 members of the Cherokee, Muscogee, Seminole, Chickasaw, and Choctaw Nations, including thousands of their slaves, were forcibly removed from their ancestral lands, with thousands dying during the Trail of Tears.
0: Indian removal, a popular policy among white settlers, was a consequence of actions by European settlers in North America during the colonial period and then by the U.S. government and its citizens until the mid-20th century. It was genocide, ethnic cleansing, and disgraceful. And now I have goosebumps.
1: Yeah, same.
0: Chris, did you know that I'm 1% Native American?
1: I did not. Did you know I'm 100% European Dutch boy?
0: Sounds about right. I know we've all been through history class and all of that, but man, we are so far removed from the history of the U.S.'s early days and how our country became what it is. We're living on stolen land and u.s history class certainly does not do a great job of telling the entire story honestly it makes me kind of sick and kind of sad but yeah that's how this little plot of land this area where we live right now this place called coffins grove township within the city of manchester even became an available plot of land for clement coffin and his family to settle So I guess, Chris, what we're seeing here is that Coffin's Grove has nothing to do with actual coffins.
1: Not one bit. I'm kind of disappointed
0: in that, actually, because you know how I like ghosts and stuff.
1: You like weird stories, yes. I do like
0: weird stories. So Coffin's Grove is just named after Clement Coffin. Okay, let's get back to the story of Clement Coffin.
1: Clement Coffin was born in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts in 1706. He was the youngest child of Captain Eddie Coffin and of the sixth generation in descent from Tristram Coffin, who emigrated from the country of Devon, England and settled in Massachusetts. Judge
0: Coffin was a leader in the community and he was very well respected. Coffin's daughter, Elizabeth, would marry a man named Henry Baker in 1840, and they settled right here in 1841. At the time, there were only four families living in Coffin's Grove Township. The young couple arrived in the early part of June and purchased 80 acres of government land in Coffin's Grove Township, where they built a temporary log cabin that was 12 by 12 feet.
1: Deer, elk, and bear were frequently seen on the Manchester landscape. Mr. Baker killed quite a number of deer and bear, and for the first few years was seldom without venison at the dinner table.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Well, we definitely don't have elk or bear here in this area now, which is kind of sad. Can you imagine walking outside and just killing a bear? (laughs) Not in Iowa. Wait, though. There are bear, because... There's this weird little zoo just, like, a block away from where we live. We should actually talk about that.
1: Well, it had a pretty good following for a while, from what I understand. And I think there have been rumblings of it kind of going downhill in the last few years.
0: I think you're right. That's what the people in town say anyway. Yeah, they had, like, tigers and bears and
1: a lot of farm animals and stuff, too, like goats and cows and stuff like that, too.
0: It it reminds me of Joe Exotic's farm
1: on Tiger King. It's rustic. I bet they know Joe Exotic. I bet Carol Baskin is driven by our house.
0: Probably. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol at Big Cat Rescue.
1: The Winnebago Indians were stationed north of the coffin and Baker's families. They frequently passed through the neighborhood on hunting expeditions, camping in close proximity to their house for days at a time.
0: That is crazy to imagine that Native American tribes people lived and hunted right here where we currently stand, right here where our farm is right now.
1: I know, right? Henry Baker would report that the Winnebago were always friendly, but would beg for food or other items they might need but that they had never molested him.
0: They never molested him?
1: That's what it says.
0: Uh, weird flex, but okay. And also, I mean, yeah, they probably had absolutely no choice but to beg for food because the white settlers literally stole their land and began driving away the animals that they relied on for survival with industrialization and development of the area.
1: Exactly. In the fall of 1841, Henry Baker erected a story and a half log house 16 by 20 feet in dimension, which he and his family occupied for a number of years. In 1845, he purchased 200 acres of land and continued to purchase more land until he at one time owned over 700 acres. In 1856, he erected a handsome brick residence and a large frame barn.
0: Wow, he owned so much land. Baker also built the Coffins Grove Stagecoach House also known as the Henry Baker House, which was a historic building located just west of Manchester. The house was built in 1855 to accommodate the increase in travelers passing through the area. It served as a hotel, a post office, and the second floor was used for community functions like dances, Oh my gosh, look at this building! It's absolutely gorgeous! We should go visit and check it out sometime.
1: Well, Kelly, he can't. Because they tore it down in 2017 because no one could afford to maintain it.
0: Oh, that's so sad. If only we had moved here just a couple years sooner, maybe we could have helped. Uh So, this town we live in, Chris, is pretty interesting. I think there's a lot about this town that we didn't know before we signed
1: the paperwork.
0: But everybody seems so nice, you know? I don't know. I think it's the perfect town.
1: It's a great place to raise the kids, send them to a good school. And for a small town, they've got a lot of activities for kids around here.
0: That's true. They do. Manchester is just a great town. It just seems a little too perfect.
1: But what are we missing about this town, Kelly?
0: There's gotta be something. But, on that note, we should probably bring episode one of the Manchester Mysteries to an end.
1: Um, sorry to point this out, but wasn't this supposed to be a true crime podcast? Where's the true crime?
0: Well, don't worry your pretty little head, Chris. It's coming. Because next week, we're going to be introducing our listeners to some of the people in the community. And spoiler alert... We might have thought this town was perfect, but all towns harbor some sort of secret and a lot of the people we're going to be talking about next week are in prison, on a list of missing persons in our state, or dead. So tune in to the next episode and we are going to dig in to some of the secrets of Manchester. I'm Kelly. And I'm Chris. And we'll talk to you next time on The Manchester Mysteries, a limited series brought to you by True Crime IRL. True crime in real life. Until next time, lock your doors, people. Even if, or especially if, you live in Manchester. Bye bye
1: Lock your doors, people. Just lock them.
0: That's my line. Oh. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> I mean I wanted you to be me. <laughs> whoa! Look at t- <laughs> t- just say whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Scrap that whole thing. Oh shit. I need to insert no shit water is what we were okay. saying. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. I am not sure about this. No, never mind. <laughs> then you went like that. No, I went like this. Oh, blah blah. blah, blah. I- I'm gonna blah. take that out anyway. <laughs> now you do hey that's (laughs) not my birthday (laughs) okay i'll read that did you just go
1: i did take a deep breath i'm sorry and cut you're still here
0: it's over go home go